Here's the thing. If you run an e-commerce business, you're probably focused on getting new customers, which makes sense at face value, but it's back to front. A Harvard study found that acquiring new customers can be anywhere from 5 to 25 times more expensive than retaining existing ones. And there's a bunch of other data which shows growth doesn't necessarily come from winning new customers, but keeping your existing ones happy. This is where Clavio comes in. Clavio's email and SMS marketing platform brings all your customer data into one place so you can send the right message at the right time to keep customers engaged and driving revenue. This includes pre-built automations, like sending an email when someone abandons their checkout so you can develop customer relationships with minimal effort. It's time to talk to your customers like you know them, because you do, with Clavio. Learn more at clavio.com slash big. That's Clavio. K-L-A-V-I-Y-O dot com slash big, B-I-G. If the cast of Selling Sunset ever decided to leave California and make their way west across the Pacific Ocean, they'll almost certainly end up in a district of Hong Kong called Deepwater Bay. The houses in this part of the country are huge. Palatial mansions, set back from the road, spread out across dozens of rooms and floors. Tennis courts and private pools overlook the turquoise water of the marina below. How else can I describe it? Deepwater Bay basically looks like the kind of place where wealthy James Bond villains might live. It's private, secluded and rich. The aggregate net worth of residents in this part of Hong Kong is about 123 billion US dollars. And that makes it just the kind of place a man like Big Spender is keen to keep an eye on. Richard Cook. They didn't walk amongst the common people and they, they lived these, these, these lives in these very gilded cages. Remember Lee Car Singh, the flower factory owner that became a self-made billionaire? Well... He's got a son called Victor. Victor Lee lived in his father's compound in Deepwater Bay Road on the south side of Hong Kong. It's perhaps the, uh, the biggest house compound in Hong Kong. It's tucked away from the rest of Hong Kong, really. It's at the end of a, a windy, narrow road, and it's in, in jungle on a steep hillside. By the time spring 1996 rolls around, Big Spender has been watching Victor Lee at this compound for months. He would have left the family office in central Hong Kong, travelled through the edge of Wan Chai, through Happy Valley. V Victor would have done that same journey every night. He followed the same habits. And they were also, in some ways, um, miserly. So they, they, they would feel that it wasn't worth spending money on security. Big Spender and his gang do nothing for weeks on end. They just drive up to the hillside, find a good vantage point and watch. It's the same every day. Victor Lee leaves the house in the morning for work. Then at 6.15, a dark blue Nissan president driven by a chauffeur with Victor Lee in the back seat drives slowly back to the family house. There's a bottleneck. It's a, it's a toll tunnel, so you have to slow down to pay the toll or to let the auto gate open, let you through. And then you inch your way through that tunnel, especially at rush hour. And then when you come out the other side, it opens up again. On May 23rd, 1996, Big Spender positions his crew, armed with AK-47s, a miniature submachine gun and automatic pistols in vehicles with fake number plates, 
near that tunnel. Right on schedule, the Nissan comes rolling slowly out. They rammed into it to, to make sure that Victor and the chauffeur knew they were serious. The gangsters put an AK-47 up to the window and fire a shot into the back seat. The bullet shatters the back window. Victor Lee cowers from the gunfire. Big Spender and his gang have no time to waste. This is a rich neighborhood with lots of security and another car could drive by at any second. They yank open the doors and pull Victor and his driver from their seats. After they blindfold and gag them, the gangsters bundle Victor Lee into the back of another vehicle. His car was left on the side of the road and they were whisked away. They were gone. Victor Lee is taken to a compound in the New Territories, on the outskirts of Hong Kong. So the rural part of Hong Kong that faces the Chinese border, so it's a kind of quasi-industrial rural wasteland, dirty, messy, huts, deserted houses. And supposedly, um, Victor Lee was taken to one of these. They strip Victor Lee down to his underwear and blindfold him. He was tied up. His mouth was taped, supposedly. He was shackled. All behaviour that this highly privileged man would not have been used to in any way. Southside Hong Kong is genteel. You know, it's yacht clubs, it's country clubs, it's expensive international schools. And it's these secure, secure compounds where the billionaires live behind huge gilded walls. And for Big Spender to come into that world with the guys that he surrounded him with, himself with was really scary. And with this kidnapping, Big Spender has crossed the one line that all other gangsters have sworn never to violate. It was highly unusual that a gangster would go after a billionaire in that way. Supposedly there was a, a relationship between triads and billionaires, so order could be maintained. And it's safe to say that, that Big Spender um, smashed that in half. From Kindling Media and Vespucci, you're listening to Bad Money, a show about power, wealth, and wrongdoing. I'm Jason Wong. This season, Big Spender. Episode 3, Broken Pact. Kidnapping Victor Lee, the son of a billionaire, is a significant step up for Big Spender. There's potentially a lot of money to be made, but there's a lot of risk too. To understand how we got to this point, a bit of background might help. Up until now, most of Big Spender's crimes have been smashing grabs. Sophisticated smashing grabs, but smashing grabs all the same. By the time he kidnaps Victor Lee, Big Spender has stolen a van load of Rolexes worth about $4 million. As you might remember from episode one, he's also robbed a truck full of cash from outside an airport, making off with 21 million US dollars. At this point in his criminal career, Big Spender and his gang have gotten so good at these heists that they run like clockwork. They arrive, they steal, they leave, often without a single shot fired. By the time police get to the scene, they're too late. Time and again, Big Spender and his men have simply disappeared. Big Spender really made maximum use of disappearing into, into rural China. 
So they would come to Hong Kong, do a crime, and just disappear. And they could disappear for days, weeks, or months. Hong Kong itself is an island, and it sits below um, what's called the Kowloon, Kowloon Peninsula. And above the Kowloon Peninsula is, is southern China. And there was a big fence. It was patrolled by the British Army, patrolled by Hong Kong police. And on the other side, you had the People's Liberation Army and the Chinese Border Guard. But around that, Hong Kong Island, the Pearl River Delta, there are hundreds of islands. And on both sides of the border are fishing communities. So it means it's crisscrossed constantly with boats. Constantly. And there's no way you can, you can search every one of those thousand boats that goes out at night. Under cover of darkness, Big Spender and his men would hop on a boat, slip across the river, and disappear into mainland China. And all the while, the public are seemingly happy to let Big Spender get away with it. They don't particularly mind. He's not stealing from them after all. It's important to point out as well that Big Spender wasn't a triad. He was a gangster. He had his own gang, and that set him apart. Triads were bully boys. And people were well used to them and and didn't like them. The fact that Big Spender sat outside of that did give him something of a folk hero status. But even though he's beloved by the public and pulling off his crimes with ease, eventually it's almost as if Big Spender begins to get bored. Maybe the thrill just isn't there anymore. He wants something bigger something that will really cement his status as one of Hong Kong's most notorious gangsters, something that will make him even more rich. And as it happens, just as Big Spender is beginning to expand his ambitions, a dramatic change is unfolding in Hong Kong that might give him the opportunity he's been waiting for. When Big Spender kidnaps Victor Lee in 1996, a monumental shift is on the horizon for Hong Kong. The 1997 handover. Time for a quick history lesson. In 1842, after the British won the first opium war against China, Hong Kong was the victory prize and it became a British colony. The British claimed more land after the second opium war in 1860. And in 1898, they brokered a lease with China to maintain control of Hong Kong for 99 more years. 99 years after that lease was brokered brings us to 1997. There was a feeling of a clock ticking. For almost 100 years, Hong Kong developed their political and economic systems under British colonial rule, instead of developing in line with mainland communist China. But both parties knew that Hong Kong would have to be returned soon. The best way to describe it is end of empire. But Hong Kong's capitalist westernized society is very different from China's and abandoning that outright is recognised as unrealistic. So a few years before the handover, negotiations begin. China promises that Hong Kong will be part of one country, two systems. Hong Kong will maintain the democracy and legal system, but operate under China. No one exactly knew what was going to happen. There's a great deal of uncertainty about what China's rule will mean. After all, China is a communist country with very different laws and priorities to Hong Kong. This geopolitics also causes a lot of worry for criminals. Gangsters have been running Hong Kong for the past 30 years, but China might not be so forgiving. So some of the gangsters jump ship. After Hanover in 1997, I can witness change. 
that the number of tribe members they try to like um, engage more in what we call the cozy legitimate business. Sharon Kwok, you might recall, specializes in triads and Chinese organized crime. She says the looming handover prompted the triads to expand their horizons beyond heists and gambling. One of the examples that will be lunchbox delivery. Lunchbox delivery is a catering business. It should be legitimate, right? But um, when you look at how they obtain the business, then you would say it's not that legitimate because, you know, they would use extortion in order to, you know, fence off the competitors so that they monopolize the delivery service. So the gangster version of legitimacy. While Hong Kong was under British rule, China could put up with, possibly even tacitly support, the triads running their operations. But they won't stand for flagrant violations of Chinese law once the country is returned to China. Rumour was, was the Communist Party gathered all the triads together and told them if they continued this, they would shoot the lot of them. And it stopped. It was a moment in history. It was a definite, um, a big line in the sand. Big Spender watches his competition sneak off in fear. But he isn't the least bit spooked. He was highly driven. He was audacious. He didn't give a shit, I think, about the rules in Hong Kong that the, the colonial government there, he had no respect for that. He, he certainly had no respect for the, the communist government in China. With rival criminals out of the way, Big Spender plans his biggest crime yet. It's a crime that triads wouldn't have dared to attempt even before the handover. The 14-gay triad might have had more muscle to put on the streets, but no one came bigger than Big Spender. And that's how Victor Lee son of one of Hong Kong's wealthiest businessmen, ends up bound, gagged, and put up for ransom by a man who, up until now, has satisfied himself with Rolexes and cash hauls. Whilst Victor Lee is languishing in a remote compound in his underwear, Big Spender knows he needs to act quickly to communicate the details of his demand without raising suspicion. The chauffeur was sent back to the Lee family compound with a ransom note. He's told to give it directly to Lee Ka Sing, Victor's dad. And the ransom note was for two billion Hong Kong dollars. If Lee Ka Sing wants his son back, says Big Spender, he has 24 hours to come up with the money in cash. Big Spender also makes Lee Ka Sing promise that he won't report this to the authorities. Big Spender doesn't trust anyone else to collect the money. So, under the cover of darkness, he makes a visit himself to the Lee family compound in Deepwater Bay, known as Billionaire's Row. It's possibly the richest street in the world. If you look at an aerial photograph of Deepwater Bay, it's a strip of sand, blue, blue sea with big yachts in it. And then at the back behind that beach are, um, are properties dotted, dotted on the hillside. And the biggest one, perhaps the most remote, remote one, but certainly the biggest one, is Lee Ka-shing's family compound. Big Spender looks at the compound. It represents everything he's been chasing his whole life. It is huge. It's white marble, sits on a huge slab, huge, huge slab, perhaps the size of a football pitch. It's the complete antithesis of Big Spender's upbringing. A mansion that um, three, four stories high, you know, akin to, I suppose, a castle. When he arrives, Big Spender doesn't try to sneak past security or over those high walls. He walks right up to the front door with a couple of his senior gangster associates and rings the doorbell. 
And he went there, supposedly, with bombs strapped to him in fine Big Spender style. He knows what he wants. There's a great clip in one of the many films that have been made about this, where Lee Kai-shing said to Big Spender, I don't know why you've done this. We've always treated you people well, you people meeting gangsters or triads. I don't know why you've done this to us. Here, take $200,000, take it in cash now and return my son. And in this movie clip, Big Spender laughs in his face and says, $200,000, I spent that on my lunch. Ha ha. And I think that really typifies that sentiment, even though it's not fact, maybe possibly not fact, the sentiment that he really didn't give a shit for the establishment, for the frameworks that were set up for, for any level of authority. Big Spender refuses to leave until he's got every penny of the ransom money. Supposedly, Big Spender said to Lee Kai-shing, when the ransom is paid, we will never touch your family again. And I'm a man of my honour, and I'm a man of my word, and I will, I will stick to my word. Whilst Lee Kai-shing makes phone calls and routes around the sofa for spare change, the intercom rings. It's a reporter. They'd heard that something was amiss, and they came and knocked on the door when Big Spender was inside and asked Li Kai-shing if everything was okay. Big Spender and his men trained their pistols on Li Kai-shing. They watch him very carefully. His son's car had inevitably been found on the side of the road and whispers of a kidnapping are spreading quickly. At that time, Hong Kong was subject to a, a big circulation war, hugely competitive. And Hong Kong is a very claustrophobic, close-knit society. You know, it's, it's a city. It's a, a very tightly woven together city. And it lives off stories of urban crime, rumour, and the papers are quite salacious. And to try and help papers win circulation wars, around that time, you had this whole fleet of young guys who supposedly were photographers but they would ride around on mopeds. They had a nickname, something like mosquitoes, and they would just be buzzing around town. And you would see them, and they would have the, the branding of whoever they worked for, and they would be literally chasing ambulances. They would be listening to the police scanners and going to where those scanners said there was a story. And there's a chance, and I, I can't remember, but there's a chance that they would have picked this up. With a reporter on his doorstep, this is Lee Ka Sing's chance to raise the alarm and get them to call the police. But if he confirms the rumours, then the press will go berserk. They would have run with it. They wouldn't have been frightened of um, Lee Ka Sing, or they wouldn't have been frightened of any kind of legal restraint. They would have run with it. If Lee Ka Sing betrays his promise to keep quiet about the kidnapping, there's no telling what Big Spender might do. The publicity would also leave Lee Ka Sing's family exposed. Everyone would know he has weak security and will cave to blackmail. He'd have a different gangster breaking into his compound every week. Is it a risk he's willing to take? Lee Ka-sing presses the intercom button to speak to the reporter. Big Spender is a production of Kindling Media and Vespucci and is narrated and hosted by me, Jason Watt. The next episode, episode four, isn't out yet, but will be next week. Please follow or subscribe so you don't miss what happens next. The series producer is Mira Kumar. 
The story editor is Mira Sharma. Thomas Curry is the managing producer. For Kindling Media, the executive producers are Will Stolomon, Ruth Edwards, Rich Martel, and Dan Murray Serta. For Vespucci, the executive producers are Daniel Turkin, Johnny Galvin, and Matt Willis. Original music, audio mix, and sound design by Dominic Gozo. Special thanks to Pete Sale and Yu Pang, George Chan. <laughs>